Hello, welcome to Dyslexia Explored. My name is Darius Nomderon. Today we will listen to a presentation I recorded during the Decoding SPLD conference last November in 2019, Leeds, UK. Gustav and Matthias of Lexplore Analytics shared their exciting technology that can really help identify students with difficulties in reading. What they do is they use eye tracking technology and artificial intelligence to track the movement of students' eyes while reading a small piece of text and within minutes it analyzes if they have a reading difficulty or not. It doesn't analyze whether they have dyslexia, but it does analyze whether they have a reading difficulty. It's fascinating to hear the story of their research and how it's developed into this tool that schools can use to identify very quickly who's got a reading difficulty. Compared to sitting with a child for half an hour or so, they can do it within minutes and screen lots of children. So this is something to watch and to keep an eye on. And if you want to watch the actual presentation they, they reference, I did a video of it because there's some interesting visuals. Now I've recorded it all on video, but if you want to see some of the amazing graphics where they've got these circles and they show how the eye jumps around the text or how much it focuses in on a particular text, and you can see the difference between a poorer reader and a, and a strong reader, and also some of the ways that dyslexics read and backtrack and so forth. Uh, you can see that on our podcast show notes. You simply go to bulletmapacademy.com forward slash 47, the number 47, and you'll see the show notes and we'll include some of the images there. So let's jump straight into listening to Gustav and Matthias. Just tell you a little bit about PATOS. PATOS is a professional organisation, it's a national organisation that looks after professionals working in the field of specific learning difficulties. We have a West Yorkshire branch, which is a non-profit branch of PATOS. Okay? And there's a few of us that work together to put on events for our professionals in this area and we, we meet around three times a year. We put on twilight training sessions, which have included safeguarding. We've had running a small business, dyslexia guidelines. So we put on some smaller events, but we also do larger events like this one today. Last year, we worked with Yorkshire Rose Dyslexia, which is the regional branch of the British Dyslexia Association for this area and we hosted Leeds Dyslexia Festival which was a large event held at Elland Road in Leeds and we put on the event so that our teachers, educators, parents and children in the area could learn more about dyslexia and could also find out about the support that's available in our area and beyond and we saw over a thousand people through the door on that day which was a real success. So we started to think about what we could put on this year that would have the greatest impact. And the best way to have a good impact would be to work directly with you, practitioners, 
and to develop you so that you could reach the most children. And we know that training can be expensive. It can often be hosted in London and the South. And so we really wanted to put on affordable, good quality training in this area, in the North, and for it to be accessible to you. Now, I hope you have a brilliant day. It's my honour to introduce our first speakers, Dr. Gustav Erkvist Saimir and Dr. Matthias Nielsen Ben Pato. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Helen and um, uh, Patus West Yorkshire, and everyone here today. It's a pleasure being here. Let's see if we can get this one right. Yeah, there we are. So I'm Gustav, and uh, this is uh, Matthias. Uh, we're from uh, Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. We're, our background is actually in computer science and, and linguistics, which is an academic discipline called computational uh, linguistics. Yes, and uh, we have been working on a research project where we have used eye tracking and machine learning to find children with reading difficulties. And this has later evolved into Lexplore, which now is a company offering this service to schools. And we have a, a business in Sweden, uh, United States, and now for the last one and a half years possibly here in the UK. Uh, so this is something that is used in schools. But we're going to focus a little bit more on the background and how this came about and also sort of try to explain the thinking about this product. So I don't think this comes as a surprise to any of you that early discovery and early intervention is super important to help children with reading difficulties. The earlier you can put in support and help them, the better the outcomes becomes. I mean, you don't get behind so much in school. And I mean, after third grade, the teaching sort of changes a bit. So it's not so much focused on learning to read as reading to learn. So you have to sort of get training and intervention early. We are talking about reading difficulties generally, not specifically dyslexia. So we you're a bit more, more inclusive, possibly. Although we started out uh, with uh, quite a strong focus on dyslexia, and the reason for that was that, I don't know about the numbers here in, in the UK, but in Sweden, the average age at which you uh, get a diagnosis is 13 years, and that's way too late, because, it, of course, at that point, it will have had other adverse consequences for your self-esteem and motivation in school and so on. So that was a real trigger for us uh, to, to start working with uh, children with reading difficulties and dyslexia. At Karolinska Institute in Sweden, that's a medical university in Stockholm. We are sort of famous for handing out a Nobel Prize in medicine, amongst other things. But we work in a research lab called the Marianne Bernadotte Center, which is focused on children's vision and children's uh, vision development. But reading has also been a, a focus for a long time. And the data that we started working on when Matthias and I came into a lab, that actually results from a research project that started over 30 years ago. I think then Matthias and me were both in school ourselves. So. This is sort of a material we have inherited from our professors. 
this project is called the Cronoberry project and it was quite unique in that eye tracking was used on a quite large number of children quite early in time. Uh, so this is an image from the that when this went about so the eye tracking is done using these kind of goggles you can see there and the children were reading. And they did eye movement tracking in grade three while children were reading because what they wanted to see was if the reading difficulties could be caused by oculomotor problems. The result from this study was when they did it was basically that no, not really. I mean, you could have oculomotor problems and that's something that you need to fix for reading, but that's not what's specific for dyslexia. One more thing with this project was that these children were sort of assessed in grade three and then they were followed up until adulthood. And now there are actually projects looking at these children's children. So it's really a longitudinal project and uh, it's been going on for quite some time. And they had actually stored these recordings, uh, which means that we have recordings on children's from far ago that we can look at now, which is quite unique. And that was, was really Matthias and my starting point because we got our hands on this material. We were able to sort of translate it into something that we can process using computers today, which are more powerful. Yeah, and I think it's worth uh, to add that uh, I don't know how familiar you are with eye tracking, but today eye tracking is a very well established methodology for actually studying reading and language processing. So the basic idea here is that uh, the eye movements you make while you read a text in terms of uh, fixation points and um, rapid movements um, and so on actually reflect the processes that are going on in the brain. So the way we use um, eye tracking is that we use it as a reflection of uh, the cognitive processes that are going on um, while we are reading. This is an example of what it looks like when we read and sort of contrary to maybe intuition, when we read our eyes do not move along in one simple smooth sort of movement. We make this very small movements from one word to another and we call those points where we stay uh, fixations and those are the points where we actually bring in information in the mind and we process what we are looking at. And then in between the fixations we make these small rapid movements from one word to, to the next and these technically we are called saccades in, in eye movement research. So what we see here is uh, a good reader, uh, no problem, and here is a struggling reader. And so we can see that in terms of fixation time, and that is the circles. So the bigger the circle, uh, the longer the duration of fixations. And we can also see it in terms of regressions, and that are movements that are going backwards in the text, that is to act to previous material that you have already seen. And you do regressions uh, in order to sort of get the context, to get an understanding of the context and, in, and to interpret uh, what you're looking at or reading. So eye movement is quite a powerful technology because think about this, this is not only uh, something you can do while the child is reading aloud, the child can be, in this case, the child is actually reading silently and we can still get a view, a pretty clear view of what is happening and what words 
uh, the child are uh, getting stuck on and, and so on. This podcast is sponsored by DyslexiaProductivityCoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. Making this kind of recordings and looking at iTrick has been used um, in research for quite some time to tr- not only in understanding machine language difficulties, but also understanding how we process language at all and how grammar, for example, affects processing time and so forth. It's mostly been a technique that's been used in a lab, uh, mostly because the technique has been cumbersome to use, very expensive, but recent developments has made this more affordable and now it's possible to use it also out in schools. We had access to these recordings. Uh, what we have now, which they didn't have 30 years ago, is this other advancement that has happened, which is in statistical modeling and what we call artificial intelligence or machine learning. So what we did when we had these recordings and we knew how the children had developed, the thought was, okay, can we use this to sort of, based on the eye movement recordings, make predictions about which ones have reading difficulties and who not? So I, I guess you've all heard about sort of uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning and predictive modeling. It's sort of hot topics right now. And every day, if you use Google Translate or other stuff like that, there is a machine learning engine in the background. And so I'm not going to go into detail here. It just serves to sort of illustrate the general idea, which uh, in our case is basically that if you have a sample of kids and you know in in this sample which ones uh, are dyslexic and which ones are not, and then you have eye movement recordings when these children are reading, then you can use an AI model or a machine learning algorithm to try and learn a mapping from the eye movements to the sort of the risk status, which would be either dyslexic or not. So this methodology is very data-driven. You have or you collect data with children with dyslexia or healthy kids without any problems at all. And then you sort of push the eye movement recordings into the algorithm and the algorithm tries to learn this mapping in order to be able to predict Uh, other children, that is to say, given a new eye movement recording, whether that child is at risk of dyslexia or reading difficulties or not. That is how we can use machine learning to build, to make predictions about children's reading uh, skill. So, uh, based on this longitudinal material, we sort of made a proof of concept study where we built models using these eye movements and sort of their outcome as a sort of response and we had uh, 185 students from grade 2 selected about among 2000 so this was in a municipality in Sweden uh, with a sort of selected a set of poor readers about 100 and uh, age match controls which were supposed to be as familiar as impossible and then typically it was a person in the same class based on other tests um, so this we had these students and their eye movement recordings, and then we built models just looking at eye movements during reading. 
and that was about a 30 second recording. And we could see that these models that could achieve a, an accuracy of about 95% with a balance between sensitivity, that's actually finding the children with difficulties, and specificity, that's the feature of excluding those that don't have difficulties. Sensitivity and specificity is really important to consider in this kind of classification task, especially when the groups are not balanced, because it can have an, an accuracy of about 90%, but with a poor uh, specificity, you pick out too many children, and then of course you can't. So it's, sort of, it's important to have a balance between sensitivity and specificity. So this looks really good, but there were kind of a few limitations to this. Of course, 185 children is not a huge sample. It was a good data set, but it's, it's not huge. Uh, it only covered one grade. I mean, the recordings were made in grade three. Selection was made in grade two. However, more importantly, students just at the threshold between having difficulties and not having difficulties were not included. We picked 100 children with difficulties, and then the controls were just, I mean, children in the same class as close as possible. But those were not necessarily near having difficulties. Quite a few of them were actually quite good readers. So there was a gap between these groups, which sort of could have made this uh, classification tasks a little bit easier than it should be. Uh, still, a method like this looked very promising, uh, especially as for screening, as we could see this balance between sensitivity and specificity. So what we did then was launch a much larger project to actually do these out in schools with a much, much larger sample. So now we are turning to talk a bit about a follow-up project on the initial pilot project. So the initial pilot project only included about 200 kids. And in that sample, we knew which one had reading difficulties and which did not. So as Gustav said, uh, the results were promising, but we wanted to see if it was possible to scale this up and uh, to develop a sort of a screening system that actually could be used for early screening in schools in, in general. And so in this research project, we set out the aim to screen, to make an eye movement screening of all students in grade one to three into municipalities in, in Sweden. And we carried out this research project together with teachers and special educators and psych school psychologists because we wanted, of course, their feedback on how they felt in how, how they sort of uh, viewed and perceived the results that we got uh, when we did the screening. Of course, in this case, we didn't know which ones actually had problems initially, in contrast to the earlier project where that was clear. So we had to find a way in order to build our predictive models to have some information about uh, which children had, had difficulties. And this is an image of uh, what it looked like during the research project. And so compared to uh, a previous, the previous image we saw about eye tracking 30 years ago, it looked much, it's much simpler uh, when we did this research project. So there is nothing that you have to sort of put on the child. There are no goggles involved. The child just sits in front of a computer monitor and reads uh, on the screen. And so if we wouldn't tell uh, this girl that we were tracking her eyes, she would probably not even notice. So today it's a very user-friendly uh, technology. When we did this, uh, 
it was me and Matthias and our colleagues who went out to the schools and did um, the screening. So it was not the teachers, it was us. The way it worked was that we went to the school possibly one or two weeks in advance and had a meeting with all the teachers and the principal and sort of informed about the project, our aims and how we, how we were about going to go about it. Then we sent out the consent forms to the parents um, via the school which collected them back. And then when we came to the school, for each class we just had a short introduction. We were presented ourselves to the class and then we put up our equipment in a room adjacent to the classroom and we just picked one student at a time to, to come, and, come and see us and do the test. The test itself took about maybe 10, 10 minutes and the actual eye movement tracking part of it was really short but we also did additional testing at the same time because now we don't, we don't really know much about these children or which difficulties they have. One of these tests, the first one was a word, word segmentation task. Um, so the children are instructed to sort of put in markers between the words. Now this is in Swedish, so it's kind of difficult for you possibly. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's supposed to be three different words in, this, in each chunk and the child is supposed to sort of put a divider. And uh, this is done on this is a time task. Uh, this was done in the classroom with all the students, even those that didn't have a consent. And that was because we had a concern about this with sending consents to parents and getting them back could have an effect on our sample. So we got it through our ethics board that we <laughs> were able to collect data on children not having consent. And the only reason why they agreed to that, apart from, of course, it's, it would be good for us or good for the, for the data, was that these tests were already used in the schools. So it was nothing extra that we added. The first thing the children did when they came to us, us was a rapid naming task. Just say these letters aloud as fast as you can. I mean, this is a task that's commonly used in, in, in screening and for different purposes. But for us, it was also a way to see if the children sort of had the possibility to read. We don't want to create a task that they can't perform. So if a child really struggled with just naming the letters or felt very uncomfortable doing it, we sort of stopped there. Yeah, and so this was uh, the actual text that they were reading, and so it was from this particular uh, stimulus that we actually built the predictive models. The other tests that we made, uh, we did in order to have some sort of reference in order to understand which children had difficulties, for instance, with word segmentation or rapid automatized naming. But they read actually two texts and we asked them to read one silently and one aloud. Uh, or actually in first grade they read, no, they were asked to, they, they actually could choose themselves um, what they preferred. In first grade almost, of course, everyone read aloud. Second grade it was more mixed and in third grade most kids read silently. I should also say that they were asked to read for comprehension. So there was a question afterwards to each text. And they were also instructed to read at their own pace. So we don't want them to read as fast as possible, but read it as you usually do. That was the instruction. 
then we had a sort of pseudo or non-word reading task um, where they are supposed to read made-up words as fast as possible during 30 seconds. These recordings were analyzed afterwards to see that the pronunciation was correct and which kind of errors they did. And we had a similar task for, for real word reading. So now that we had made these different kinds of tests, um, we could actually build sort of a composite score from uh, the reference tests, that is, word chains or word segmentation and the non-word and the real word test as well as the rapid automatized naming. So that would be, we formed a composite by standardizing these uh, scores and then using the average um, of uh, the test results. And that reference was then used as the benchmark to train AI models on. So the basic idea here is that to what extent can we train models that only have access to eye movement data during reading to predict the score of this reference as accurately as possible. So we did this over two years, 2015 and 2016. We were in 14 schools uh, the first year and this was all done in spring. And the second year we had uh, 21 schools. In total it was about 3,400 children participating in this study. And you can see here that the consent rate was fairly high. I talked about this that we did, we looked at the consent rate and see that had any effect on the, on the results. And we, we can see that it, it didn't actually, but it was good to know. When we look at the results for the sort of prediction uh, in terms of accuracy, we can see that we the total accuracy about 86%, um, still with a good balance then between sensitivity and specificity. We can also see that it's worked equally well in all grades, which was gratifying. That was something that we didn't know. We were sort of expecting it to be possibly a bit higher. In And uh, as uh, Gustav mentioned, we still have a quite a good balance between sensitivity and specificity. Uh, in each grade uh, and, and uh, the average of all grades. Still, the accuracy on average over the grades is 86.2. That is a little bit lower than the accuracy we had seen in the pilot project where we had uh, 200 kids in the sample. And probably one uh, reason for that may uh, simply be that this is sort of a population-based study. We didn't exclude any kids that were sort of uh, on the threshold that Gustav mentioned before, that was in the first project where we had children with reading difficulties and then children above um, uh, the norm. So here we have a total population. So what we have done since, I mean, we, now we have sort of divided risk, no risk at the sort of arbitrary threshold. We use the 10th percentile because that's what's commonly used in Sweden or recommended for use in Sweden. We could have used another threshold. Um, in fact, I mean, we don't need to just look at risk or no risk. Now we have a, the whole population. So what we have moved towards is actually predicting where the children are along the normal distribution. I don't know how many of you are uh, like statistics, but basically what it means is that we have evolved from doing simple classification of no risk and risk to a sort of a regression model where we 
consider reading ability as a skill that exists along a continuum. It's not black or white. And then based from that continuum, we have then uh, these five groups. So uh, instead of just at risk or no risk, we have at risk below average and an average above average and proficient readers. Uh, yeah, so this is just a some graphs of uh, the regression results that I mentioned. I think it's important to consider reading ability as a, something that exists uh, along a continuum uh, rather than, than being discrete. And so um, we can see from these regression models, they are for different year groups that we have a very good correlation between eye movements and the reference test results. It's uh, R2 of uh, 0.8, which would be a correlation of about 90. Um. So this is sort of the classification model that's built into what we use at Lexplore. What has changed in the product that's used at Lexplore is also that now the schools do the screening themselves. It's not that we go out and do it. And we have sort of put together this in a in sort of a more approachable packet. I'm just going to show you a short video of how this um, can work in, in a school today. So I'm just briefly going to show you a little bit about how we present the results to the school and what you can get from this as a practitioner after you have done the screenings. We also have the sort of the screening tool available for a demo here during the day and our colleagues from here are more than happy to show you how it works. But when this is presented to a school, you can we present an overview with the children sort of divided into these groups of low proficiency, below um, average, average, above average, and high. So you can see how sort of the composition over different grades and different classes. If you use this on a more district level, you can also see this for, for different schools. Um, depending on who you are. If you look at a class, you can see the information as well, sort of an overview of, of their uh, sort of scores and their, when you use this over time, you can also compare to the previous tests that they did. And for an individual student, you can see here that we have sort of the reading ability. Uh, we presented different data about the comprehension, about the reading speed and the things they did during the task. But then we also have a set of recommendations based on, on the sort of proficiency level that the teacher or school can use. And it's also possible to review the recording. So you can actually view later how the child read. And in the case they read aloud, you can also listen to their to how they read. Over here you can see a sort of their progression over time. And down here you have the reading comprehension results, which was added. Right now this is available for grade one to one in spring and four in fall. But what we are working on now is expanding the level, so we expect that we will have up to seventh or eighth grade this this fall. We're also looking to implementing this in other languages than Swedish and English. Um, and then we sort of want to 
we have a lot of information here, which can be interesting. So what we want to say is possibly more about uh, linguistics aspects of the text. I mean, which actually which words the children get stuck on or have difficulties to some some way aid instruction. And of course, then mapping results to sort of, okay, how can we work with this? Uh, how can we work with the children? And adding more focus on progress monitoring and, and sort of continuous evaluation. Because the test in itself is quite quick and it gives you an accurate view. So depending on which kind of interventions you can put in, you can see which effects they have. No, I think the, um, the linguistic analysis is, is really important uh, to get an idea of exactly uh, which words do you get stuck on and how does phonology interact with the, uh, the eye tracking uh, recordings that we see and so on. So to get a sort of statistical summary of, of that kind of data, I think would provide really important information. Okay, we have some people to thank, of course. Um, this lady here is uh, Countess Marianne Bernadotte. She's a part of the royal family in Sweden. She has been very supportive of us and our lab, so she's really the one who's made this project and in the extension, of course, Explore possible. Uh, we have had some funding from uh, Ulla Ingmar Dahlberg Foundation and Vinova, which is a Swedish innovation agency, and uh, Promobilia Foundation. And then we what was must say thank you to uh, this Kronoberg project where we actually got the initial data. Thank and you. thanks to you for today. <laughs>
Visit our website and join our newsletter for updates at bulletmapacademy.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.